0: Welcome to another exciting episode of Mission Compliance, Unleashing Growth Potential for Defense Contractors. Today's episode is going to be a little different. We're temporarily departing from giving our tips, tricks, and expertise to the defense industry, and instead, we're going to get to know the guy who who gives you those tips and tricks. You've watched the YouTube videos, you've listened to the podcast, we hope, and so today we're going to dive into how Mike Frieder got to be the compliance guy. Let's jump in. As I said, we're joined again by Mike Frieder, president of On Call Compliance Solutions. He, he's a CMC registered practitioner and CMC certified professional assessor. But today, he's just the guy on the screen telling you how he got here. <laughs> so, like I said, in previous episodes, we spent a lot of time talking about compliance, security, and other very serious topics. This week's going to be a little different. We're going to get to know the guy who gives all that great advice. Uh, the face of the YouTube channel, the guest on the podcast, but how did he get here? So Mike, you told us on a previous episode how you wanted to network and but but the networking event was in a bar and you were 20 years old and you couldn't get in. How did you go from sneaking into a networking event at a bar while living in your parents' house to the compliance guy, to the face of a YouTube channel to the face of a, a sector of an industry? Kind of walk us through how how you got here. All right, very good. Um, so so hey everybody, it's
1: Mike Frieder again. Hope everybody's doing well. So uh, you know, I was kind of hesitant about doing this episode because of course, you know, we really try to keep the spotlight on compliance and helping defense contractors. And um, you know, I I personally try not to step very much into the spotlight, but uh, our team here has sort of convinced me, hey, you know, you've got a heck of a story and and why not have a little fun telling it. So uh exactly. I'll do my best and and you know, ask me questions if uh if there's any point where um you know, seems like I need a little bit of coaxing along to get what you want out of this. So, oh, exactly. Um, For sure. So, you know, as, as I think I probably mentioned on a previous episode, On Call Computer Solutions, the parent company, started, you know, back in 2003. And we actually just had our 20th anniversary, uh, which is which is really wild because I started planning that company when I was 19 years old. I was in community college and. Um, you know, and and you know, for those of you, again, I think a lot of people are here to hear about compliance, and so I'll, I'll try to, to throw in some compliance stuff. But honestly, isn't this, is a, this is an American entrepreneurial story, right? I mean, that's really what it boils down to. I uh, I was working, I think my second job, um, I was uh, I was in a very very small three person internet company, uh, and they had named me their chief operations officer, which when there's only three people is not quite as impressive as it sounds. And there wasn't really anywhere for me to go, and there were some aspirations that I had in life monetarily, and um, experience wise that just, you know, that the kind of money I was making wasn't really going to, it wasn't going to take me there. It just simply was not the right path for me. Um, and, you know, ultimately I wound up leaving that company to form on-call computer solutions. And, uh, you know, if you can remember all the way back 20 years ago, that's when we had things called gateway stores and, and you would pick up your computer and bring them in, uh, to a storefront. So, You know, I I began a company and the big, unique selling proposition was that I would come to you. You wouldn't have to unplug your stuff. I'd come, I'd sit in your house and I would actually do the computer repair right then and there. And uh, that was the big novel idea. And it was, in fact, a novel idea. It was an incredible idea. Uh, And so, you know, that's really where I started. And from there, it grew from, uh, you know, a residential in-home type of computer service. To commercial, I had some people that said, "Hey, well, you did such a great job in my house. Can you come fix computers in my business?" Um, and all the while, you know, company name never changed. My attitude was, I always wanted to be there for our clients, right? I always wanted to be on call for our for our clients, right? You call, I come. Like that was very very simple concept back in those yeah. days. <laughs> And so, you know, as the company grew, the IT industry also evolved as well. So we we amassed a really significant client base of small to mid sized businesses. We grew personnel wise, um, and that was you know back when we just had one office in Tallahassee, Florida. And I began building the business, uh, you know, in a direction of. Larger and larger commercial businesses, and so as I built the businesses larger, you know, kind of an interesting thing happened. You know, we started to get some defense clients in there, and some state and government clients in there, and they had some pretty unique needs. First off, cybersecurity was paramount; it was very important to them, um, and especially in those early days, viruses, you know, could really wreak havoc and be very contagious uh, to other computers on a business network, which was a, a fairly novel concept at the time. And so we got really good at thwarting that and making sure that didn't happen to our clients. <clears throat> and uh, at a certain point in time, around 2013, 2014, <clears throat> I actually moved to Norfolk, Virginia. So I had met my my wife, Rachel, and um, she needed to kickstart her career as a professor. And so she landed at the Old Dominion University, uh, which, uh, which we still uh, absolutely love. I have a lot of great friends and family there. And uh, when I went to Norfolk, Virginia, I had never set foot in the state of Virginia, Um, never set foot there. And, uh, you know, I sort of just said, hey, you know what, Uh, if if we're going to work out, then the business side of things, that'll work out and I'll figure it out as we go. That's exactly what I did. I went there, I spent about the first six months kind of hanging out, running the business from afar and realizing that it wasn't going to completely tank and that we had a really good team under us back in back in Tallahassee. And, uh, so I opened up another office in, in Virginia and came across a lot of defense contractors, just a tremendous number of them. And, uh, ultimately over the period of time, I really began to fall in love with these people. They were not traditional businesses. They were doing exciting things in business. Uh, they were making things. They were, they were, you know, their clients were the military and, you know, the Navy and the air force and things like that. And I just really thought that was cool. It certainly was just a lot more fun to talk with those people about what they were doing than lawyers and doctors. And. Don't get me wrong, we have a large, expansive client base of lawyers and doctors, and, and really actually from every industry, you know, on-call manages technology, And but I really fell in love with defense contractors. And around 2016, one of my clients came up to me and they said, hey, Mike, there's this thing called NIST SP-800-171. Um, it's going to be mandatory for us, and we need your help figuring it out. And, um, you know, by the way, if you can't figure it out, well, um, you know, we're going to have to find somebody else. And... I have to tell you, I'm not really a person that likes to lose. Uh, our client retention rates are up above 98%. Um, you don't get to a 98% uh, client retention rate in a business this big by not being absolutely fanatical about customer response. Uh, again, the name of our company, For Better or Worse, is On Call, and, and that's really how we feel about it for our clients. Um, we have incredible response times. I've always been obsessed with that and uh, obsessed with our with our service delivery and so you know, we said, OK, well, uh, we'll go figure this this crazy random compliance standard you just threw at us. We'll go figure that out, uh, because in the back of my mind, you know, I don't think the client knew it at the time. But basically, I said to myself, whoa, if they're coming to me with this stuff, well, then the rest of my clients are going to come to me with this stuff as well in defense. And so uh, unbeknownst to me, and I'm extraordinarily impatient. um, and I think probably, you know, I'm the type of person that will work harder than anyone else in the room for the idea of being lazy and probably never achieve it. Uh, but I basically built the world's first sort of quick implementation program for NIST SP 800-171. And really since 2016, we've been evolving that program very, very rapidly um, to enable us and empower us to help defense contractors to implement these standards within days. I mean, literally start to finish. And I have to tell you, these days, the program is really incredible. I mean, it's unbelievably extensive. We've got thousands of hours uh, you know, of, of attorney time in, in the policies we have, the workflows. Um, we have just a ton of resources that go into the training. And we are able to literally sort of Uh, parachute in and work with the average company in two to three days, depending upon their size and get them compliant. I'm not talking about small companies. I mean, I'm talking about companies with hundreds of employees and major manufacturing facilities. Um, And, you know, we typically, you know, for the larger versions of those companies where they've got multiple facilities, you know, you're probably tacking on about one day for every extra facility. Um, But, you know, generally speaking, we did essentially what was unheard of at that time. You know the 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 first off the major complaint was oh my gosh this thing takes years to implement and in fact what a lot of what we had found was we found that people were taking anywhere from six months to twenty four months really to uh, to implement this thing and I'm just not that patient I mean I'll just tell you I'm not that patient um, and you know we really like the idea of helping people to accomplish what their ultimate mission was, which was, you know, they dreamed of this compliance thing just never having come up before. And so we came up with future follow-up programs that allowed them to continue to sort of run their business while we handled the compliance. And it's an evolution, you know, what it boils down to, Roman, I'll tell you is, you know, the evolution of any good company is a two-way conversation between leadership and the clients. Um, and And really, I would tell you that our success 100% is built on listening to what our clients tell us in these meetings, taking that back and analyzing it and coming up with solutions to make it so. And I think that's where I think you know, I think a lot of our competitors really, um, you know if you can even really say there's competitors to us because I don't really think there is, I think that's where uh, a lot of them really struggle is you know, they're sort of trying to pigeonhole this whole compliance thing into its own, you know, their own native company category, if they're an MSP, they're trying to make this into an IT thing. Well, it's not, it's not an IT thing. It's a, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a compliance thing to, to start with, you know, um, you know, it's, it's not just an HR thing either, right? So again, sometimes the HR director, they see how many, how much training's involved and they go, well, this must be an HR thing. And it's not, it's, it's its own thing. It's compliance. It is all encompassing. And so we've created a solution to solve for that. Um, so along the lines, you know, we, we really built a large office in Virginia and still have it today, still have both, you know, all, all of our offices actually are doing very well, Mm -hmm. um, built an amazing, amazing team. Um, and you know, throughout the course of all of this, I'll tell you, we built something else. We built an incredible culture here. We built an incredible culture where we recognize that very few people, if any, in the world are as prepared as we are, as capable as we are to go out into the private defense world and prepare these people for the attacks that they are undergoing when it comes to cyber attack. They just don't understand it, don't know about it. They don't know cyber best practices. They don't know the advanced practices. And we have an ability to very quickly come in and implement a solution stack for them or teach them how to do it themselves if they're big enough and have a capable IT group. So um, this this really crazy thing sort of started happening. Um, you know, probably around 2017, 2018, the law did pass. Uh, so as everybody knows now, it's it's legally it's it's legal, it's a legal obligation, it's mandatory, uh, that you not just comply with NIST SP 800 171, but you also comply with DFAR 7012. And of course, as everybody hopefully knows, there's a lot more to um, you know, getting compliant than just what's in NIST SP80171. It is quite extensive. Um, but You know, we figured out that pathway and we figured out how to get that done. And what was fascinating to us is word began to really spread. Um, It it was uh, it was a little bit of a whirlwind, uh, but we started to get calls from all over the place. We started to get calls saying, hey, I heard you can get this done quickly and effectively for us. Uh, I'd like to put you on the first plane out here. I've got an obligation to do this, you know, legal obligation to do it and we as a company at the same time said you know we're doing an amazing job for a lot of our clients right now but there's one particular kind of client that i think we really bring bring immense value to and it's in defense so we said you know what we're going to 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 deal with the immediate demand that was sort of put on us we said you know if you're not a defense contractor we're just not going to take you on as a client anymore it was one of the scariest moves i think i've ever done in business to tell you the truth um you know we we cast aside Uh, the idea of net new bringing in non-defense clients. It was a difficult decision because we have, you know, we weren't a small business at that point. You know, we were a good, healthy business. Uh, But you know what? Uh, Those people had been our bread and butter for a lot of years, but it was, it was a somewhat emotional, but also data driven and numeric decision. And sometimes, you know, I'll tell you, Roman, Sometimes you just have to put profit aside and it's very rare, right? I know we're in America and especially me, right? We're, we're supporting the American dream, but sometimes what you have to do is you have to put immediate profit aside and you have to say to yourself, what am I passionate about? Who am I really helping the most? Who do I see my future with? And in my eyes, it was, it was working with defense contractors and in the defense industry, because I could say something about those clients that I really couldn't say to a lot of other people. You know, I could go out and I could say to these people, "Listen, you every day wake up and you run a company or you you work in a company that helps support our country, and I'm here to support you. I'm here to defend those who de- who help defend America and the ideals of our country. And I I will never forget this. I said that in a meeting once, and I kind of had one of those moments where it was an epiphany. You know, on call changed in that moment." from a company that was built as a way to make a living and to be profitable and to you know certainly do good in the world but again as as any private business owner knows right your your goal there is to make money i think we found something that not all companies find and and that something was a reason for being right a reason beyond profit a reason beyond just making money and being a business we found essentially who we were meant to be in the world. It's kind of like a coming of age or a growing up or a maturing. And in that moment, we, we, we you know I said those words and I was in a, a conference with my with my management team. And everyone around the room kind of had this epiphany of like, oh my God, we're here supporting our country too, you know, along with OnCall. Like this is our, this is our art form, if you will. You know, and our art form that we've chosen is to help defend our country against evil people who think it's really awesome to go out and commit cyber attacks and ransomware and do a bunch of harm in the world. And at the same time, and this is my favorite part of it, you got to remember, I'm, I'm just an entrepreneur at the core. Uh, you know, we turn this no good, awful thing, which is having to be compliant, especially for those who have been around in defense a long time. And they don't have to be compliant uh, or they did not have to be compliant years ago. They, this obligation was never on them. And we, we added in a little bit of my spirit to it. I said, you know, I want to teach, I want to get them compliant. I want to help them win their defense work. But I want to go a step further. I want to teach them how to grow using compliance, because they have to do it anyway. Can this actually be converted into a way that they can leverage to grow and The interesting thing is a lot of our early clients that really invested heavily and took the took the training seriously and the program seriously. I was watching them be gobbled up by venture capital. I was watching them go get venture capital and go gobble up other companies. I mean, these were not just businesses as I had found them before. These were businesses that began having immense success in defense. And so I I looked at this and I said, wow, you know this is really happening and we really are making not just an impact on on compliance and cybersecurity but we're making an impact on these businesses and their growth you know we're providing indirectly massive quantities of jobs you know profit for investors uh especially because a lot of our clients and i you know again the it management side we had not worked with a lot of these people you know of you know a lot of these bigger size companies before uh, and I just I loved it. I fell in love with it, you know, beyond beyond. And and in that moment, you know, I looked at my management team and I said, guys, I I've been doing this for like sixteen years. I don't have a better reason to come to work than to support these people. As a matter of fact, if I never supported anybody else outside of the defense industry, I'd be okay. You know, I don't care how big the company is. I don't really care about the money. You know, this is something that to me is an art form and a reason for being. And gives the company a soul instead of, um, I'll give you a great example. I I used to have a marketing person in who asked me some really great, brilliant, tough questions. He said to me, Mike, why do we do what we do? And the best answer I could give him is because, well, you know, we're supporting small business owners and their pursuit of what, you know, their goals are. And, you know, that's a good answer. I think that's a really fair answer, you know. And I think the other part of that answer is I said, you know, look at, you know, XYZ marketing person. Uh, We do this to make money, right? Uh, we do this to build careers. We, and I and I laid out some reasons, but in my head, you know, me profiting as a business owner wasn't really good enough. It wasn't that full feeling. It wasn't self-actualization, I guess you would say, right? So, you know, when, when that statement came out, everything changed. I mean, everything changed. The whole leadership team really switched on. You know, there was a a cultural momentum that we'd never experienced before. There was a reason for being that we'd never experienced before. There were new things being said in meetings that could never have been said outside of doing what we did. And there was literally a feeling of, um, you know, figuring out who we were supposed to be. Now, I'm not, I I am a religious person, but I'm not going to take this in a religious direction. But I think that there are some people who later in life eventually sort of, you know, find their faith, if you will, And what I will liken this to is us finding our faith. And our faith is the idea of helping defense contractors who help defend the country and defending those people, defending the unspoken heroes who really just don't get enough credit uh, for the things that they do. I mean, these are the people who are literally not just keeping our country safe, but keeping the world balanced and keeping them safe. And the interesting thing is we help our clients in a lot of circumstances realize what we came to realize, which is when you play a role in this ecosystem, this defense industrial base, it's a big deal. It's not. It's not a small. It's not a small thing to choose. It would be way easier to not have to jump through these hoops and deal with compliance and the red tape and bureaucracy and complicated contracts that the government throws because of how big it is, and because they can't afford to make a mistake. Um, you know, so I, I think in that regard. You know, it is an extra burden to be a defense contractor sometimes. I think there's also sometimes a bigger pot of gold at the, at the end of the rainbow as well. So that's kind of interesting. But, you know, ultimately, I think, you know, our story is as much a story about business and entrepreneurial success as it is about what I think is maybe our biggest success, which is the idea of self-actualization within the small to mid-sized business. The idea that you can actually realize a purpose beyond shareholders uh, that a business has been put there to accomplish. And I think for us, that is compliance. Now, I'll go a step further. Um, one of the other things that really bugged me for the first several years that we were consulting with this was that we had to charge a ton of money. I, just, I mean, there's no way around it. All right, This, mm-hmm. this thing is like hundreds and thousands of pages uh, of of technical mumbo jumbo and you know legalese and hard to understand stuff, and the intents even harder to understand. And then there really are genuine great areas of it. It's a mess. I mean, it's you know, you're talking about trying to have one standard by which to secure all. and and that theoretically, I don't even think it works, but it does work. It actually really does work well uh, in terms of the net effect, which is when clients implement this. They are more secure. And in fact, they're so secure that it's extraordinarily rare when someone implements NIST SP-80171 and satisfies their deficiencies that they uh, experience a cyber breach ever again. I mean, we have an unbelievable success rate. So, you know, once you kind of find, you know, that that, you know, who you're meant to be piece, then all of a sudden you truly become absolutely magnetic. And I think that's something that we have experienced is we have everybody coming to us, everybody. Um, I mean, there's just there's a lot of I.T. companies out there that can read through the standard and kind of look at the technical controls. I don't think there's any company out there, um, not even the big ones who are sort of traditionally in that federal space who really understand how to leverage compliance as a positive thing like we have. And, you know, a lot of times we wind up talking with smaller businesses. And it is a lot of effort to go through all of this and, and implement it. It's even more effort to really design a program like ours where you can have minimal client touch, uh, you know, comparatively and do this in days, not months. It's high impact. Um, and then we've made it scalable, which is which is even maybe the the, the biggest accomplishment yet is that, uh, you know, our company has has turned this into a big scalable thing. So. You know with that in mind i think there's there's a lot of challenges that that come about but one of them was dealing with the smaller businesses the smaller defense contractors um i'll be honest with you i love our enterprise clients i mean they just you know they make our gears turn i, I love big challenges and that's sort of the kind of person that, that i am i really enjoy dealing and and bringing people together around a problem uh and being the connecting link to solvency um But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, there's an interesting that happens in defense work. First off, you got a 25 percent set aside for small businesses. And another thing that I never really realized is just how many of those micro businesses existed. I mean, we're talking about, you know, one person businesses. And if you told me there was a one person business that was in defense contracting years ago, I have to share with you. I would have just called uh, I would have called I would have called some bullocks on that. Right. Like, no way you know, like what one person company is making tanks. But, you know, that was my own ignorance and not really understanding how government contracting works, which we have a much better understanding today. In fact, there are slews of them. I mean, just a massive amount of them. And, um, you know, we took calls from them and and we gave our price to them and some could afford it, but some of them couldn't. And there are some that were really small and they just kind of jaw dropped at the price and they go, you gotta be kidding me. I never factored this in. And so, you know, I looked at that situation and I thought to myself, you know, we've worked so hard at creating efficiency and a scalable solution. You know, a couple of the people on my staff, they said, you know, Mike, <laughs> I have to actually tell the real story. The real story is one of my guys went rogue. I was out of town mm-hmm. and we were short on, on salespeople uh, because of the holidays. And it was just the demand was so great in that moment. And so we just said, look, what can you afford? And she threw out a number and we verified because, you know, defense contracts are publicly verifiable that she really did not have a lot of awards. And we wound up creating our micro program and our micro program is really unique. Uh, it is affordable to anybody. Okay, It's still the same hands on program. It's been shrunk down because, well, frankly, you have less complexity, right? Less computers, less servers, less people to deal with. And we made it affordable. And and there again, I think that has been another Another one of those things in our growth and in who we are, which I think that, you know, maybe this is not the right way to run a business, but I value our culture and who we are as a company above profit. Um, I'm going to tell you, a magical thing happens when you do that, the profit comes like you've never seen it before. That's a fact. All right. It is it is an intangible in business. You know, Simon Sinek writes about that in, uh, in, in, in his why book. It's an incredible book. If you haven't read it, it really is game changing. And so I said, you know, I remember when I was small and I'll tie this all back together. I remember when I was so young and small in business that I couldn't even get into a bar to do business to business networking. Mm -hmm. I remember those days. I remember painfully what it is like to be small. And I don't ever want someone who's who's dedicating their business or operating in the defense space, no matter how small they are, to be in a position where they've got to choose between paying themselves or following the law and, you know, getting compliant, right? I don't want them to get into that kind of trouble because they don't understand in a lot of cases what those consequences can really be. They think it'll never happen to them. Well, the reality is it's supply and demand, right? If I can just supply a solution that's affordable, those people will get the help that they need because they know it's the right thing to do. And so I think that was, you know, a a very significant part of who we are. And then the other side of that is, is that we also looked at us as a company and we said, look, if we're going to be the best in the world at this, if this is going to be our art form, if this is going to be who we are, then I've got to go have the most gnarly largest clients in the world. I mean, I want to go be the end all and be all when it comes to this compliance stuff. And that's an attitude I approach anything I do with is if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it big and I'm going to do it the right way. And so, you know, we did that too, right? We developed enterprise scalable programs and we developed essentially a value ladder that literally caters to everybody. Um, So, you know, I I think today, I I believe that we are probably the largest volume DFARS, NIST, and CMMC consultant in the marketplace. Um, You know, I think that we have probably more teams of compliance experts than any other company that I know. And I think that, you know, that didn't just happen overnight. It's taken years. And I also think it didn't happen because we wanted to build out a business unit. Uh, I think it happened because ultimately, well, you know what? We care. We care. And there's this specific type of client, right? Like if you were producing something in defense, uh, you know what? You, you, can, you, should be, you should come be one of our clients. And if you're not, like, I'm sorry, there's probably someone else that's got a passion for your type of business. Um, but, you know, I think that's, you know, hopefully, hopefully a pretty good summary of, of, of our journey, uh, you know, in terms of sort of how we sort of started and evolved and and the things that we care about. And I think honestly, you know, the things that have gotten, gotten us there. Um, so hopefully. Yeah, no,
0: that, that, that was excellent. You know, I was thinking about uh, several of the things you said, um, for, for, uh, and I'll say this on a, on a personal note, I've said this off, off mic before, but but i i came to join the team you know a, a, a few months ago and and before that i was at a job where i struggled to feel like what i was doing was actually contributing to the world like 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 whether or not i did what i was supposed to do in 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 this job it didn't matter and so one of the things when when I got on the phone with you and we started talking, first of all, the fact that you called me on the phone and it was you, the CEO of this company, when, when when I'm looking for something where I can feel like what I'm doing is making a difference. The fact that you pick up the phone and you call me and we're on the phone and we're having this conversation and you said, you know, you said those words that that kind of in the room were a game changer for the, uh, def- defending those who defend our country. You said that to me. And that was the moment on the phone where I was like, I'm in like, whatever the job is, I'm going to do it. Because that right there was like, Oh, this makes a difference. This, this matters. And, and, and so you, you, you mentioned that that was a moment for, for you as a, for, for you as a president and CEO and for the people in the room, it was like, Oh, this is what we're supposed to do. It was the same thing for me when I heard it on the phone from you. Yeah. So, and then, and then the other thing that you said about about culture mattering over profit, I I've seen it go the other way, and that was another reason why I I said I'm in because you mentioned that on the phone to me as well. And the, but 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 between you saying the words about defending those who defend our country, and saying that culture matters that 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 got like i'm here to, we're here doing this podcast today because of those two things and i just wanted to i wanted to let say that to you a so that you'd know B so that our listeners could know that like everything you're saying about culture mattering and and the importance of defending those who defend our country that's that's real that's not just something that you're saying for this for the sake of this podcast uh, <laughs> And then just another funny note, uh, you said that that you you work for the ideal of being lazy. And and as someone myself who has very ambitious goals and also, but also a pretty, pretty serious lazy streak, it's it's the ambition and the work that makes the laziness better. Because when you're able to be lazy after all it's done, you're like, it's worth it because I put in all this work first being lazy for the sake of being lazy. That's just, that's just gross. But what, but it, being lazy after you've accomplished something, after you've put in the work, after you've done the hard stuff, that's when it, that's when it works the best. So all that to say, if you've been around long enough, you, you see some things. And so you've kind of been doing your own thing with on call for 20 years now. What's the craziest thing? Story you can tell us. What's the what's the wildest thing that's happened to you through this whole journey? You know, there's a lot of. For, first
1: off, I want to I want to address what you said. One, I appreciate that very much, and and we've we've talked off mic before about this. And, um, you know, if if you do happen to be a business owner, you know, again, I know you're here to hear about compliance, but I think it's a really cool story. Um, I, I tend to find, you know, two kinds of people in the world when it comes to smaller businesses, but also large businesses. You know, some people say I hate my coworkers or I hate employees or whatnot. Um, I have to share with you that if if you're a person that has has found yourself saying that you're doing something wrong. Um, I love our team. Uh, you know, we're in I.T., which is the hardest, or at least a part of our company's in I.T., it's probably the hardest Field to recruit and retain people in right now. Nobody leaves our company. Like it just doesn't, like nobody leaves our company. And I mean, people love it here, right? And we absolutely pay amazing, but that's not the reason why. And the reason why is because we understand the impact. We have a culture that puts our people first. Um there are so many of those elements. And you know what, for what's really cool is we put a little bit, that, a little bit of that into our compliance training too. And we teach our clients what it's like to remind their employees that they're doing good in the world as, as a part of the defense ecosystem that keeps the world safe. So, you know, I, I you know, if you listening to this podcast, what you're really hearing is the result of a finely tuned culture that cares and. I'll also just simply share with you, you know what, when you have the right elements in a company, the profit will come to, right? Like I assure you there's no lack of profitability, it's not it's not an issue. Um we do just fine and we and you know what, I sleep good at night and the company, you know, has grown almost every single year consecutively for 20 plus years. And it's not on the back of trying to scrounge out every last penny of profit. And I get it. When you, when you get to be a larger company, shareholders drive profit requests. Um, you know, again, I, I totally get it, right? Everything begins to swirl around that. But I think that the really, truly profitable companies, you look at like Apple, you know, those are people who are passionate about other things than money. And when you can rotate a culture around a different access than just coming to work to make money every day, money's just not the be all and end all. It's it never has been to me. Um, you know, I I think you know the people that look over the numbers of our company are, are always seem pretty darn happy. Uh, you know, but I will I will share with you. that There's just simply more to life, and you know, one of those things to me is is freedom. Uh, so you know, I think that's a, another motivating factor is that you know we enjoy certain freedoms in this country and a lot of the countries that we work with as partners uh, in defense. And that freedom, I think, is really priceless. You know, the ability for me to go haul off and create this podcast and really, truly say whatever I want without fear of retribution. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't take that lightly. So I'm sorry. Tell me that question one more time, because uh,
0: the que- um, the question and and you told a story a couple episodes ago that I don't know if you can top well, the, cra- the craziest, but the craziest thing-, craziest thing that you can tell us that's happened to you.
1: You know, I gotta tell you I got a lot of crazy stories in business I mean 20 years of it and, and, well a
0: couple episodes ago you told us a story about the tinfoil box and I don't know if you could yeah. top that but try I'm not I'm not even gonna try I'm
1: not gonna I'm not gonna try to top that but'll I'll tell you a personal story um because because uh, I, I think it's a really cool story. I was really getting warmed up in in the defense industry and you got to remember that we probably had about 13 14 years. Of the business, um, you know, just being a traditional sort of managed IT services business, and I started getting these phone calls, and I started having to go get on airplanes and go fly everywhere. And I was walking the dog one morning with my wife, and she turns to me, um, and, and she says, "Mike, is what you're doing legal?" <laughs> and and the next question was, "Are we okay?" <laughs> Like not relationship wise, just like, hey Mike, you know, did you like join the mafia? Or are you doing something illegal? Like, what's going on, man? Are we gonna get brought in
0: one day out of the clear blue? What are you doing?
1: <laughs> and, and you know, I share that story because sometimes when you transform as a business and you transform as a person, you know, the people around you will ask questions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what spurred that question was I was I was explaining to her that we were doing work for a certain specific three-letter agency. Uh, and and we we're under NDA from all of our clients, so I'm always very careful about what I say. But you know, when she heard who who we were doing work for, she just immediately thought like something's got to be wrong. This is insane, you know. Mike's little small business over here is like advising on cybersecurity measures to very very large agencies and enterprises. And it was it was a moment when I would tell you I thought I thought man, what I'm doing really is crazy. And by the way, I think I've made it. And I'm I'm really having some significant impact in the world, so I, I think that's one story. But another story that I'll tell you just for fun is, uh, um, and again I won't say any kind of specific names, but I was inspecting uh, I was inspecting a very very large facility. I think the building was probably well over a hundred thousand square feet, and we were doing a physical premise walkthrough of the building. And in the middle of the building was this like. Cinder block bunker. I didn't realize it was a bunker at the time. It just kind of looked like a room in the middle of this big open warehouse. And it wasn't super unusual for me to see something like that. Um, and I was aware that, you know, this company did some really interesting things. And so we're we're on the physical tour and the gentleman says to me, Well, you know, do you need to see inside this room? And I said to him, Well, I need to see, you know, I want to make sure I fully understand the facility. And I'm I'm, you know, giving you all the right advice here. Um, so if there's a computer in there, yeah, absolutely, let's take a look. He goes, okay, hold on, I gotta go get the key. And he goes and he gets like two or three keys and there's like three or four locks on this door. And I'm just sort of naive. I'm not really thinking about what's going on here. And he pulls open this door and the door's like four or five feet thick. And I just, I was like, wow, dude, this is like a bank vault. And I kind of joke with him. I was like, well, don't shut the door on the way in. And we walk in this room and it's a room that's probably maybe a hundred yards long, like a football field long of shelves and on those shelves were basically backpack uh, based rocket propelled grenades and i had, I had never seen mm. one before in person i had no idea what i was doing and he said to me he said hey listen you know here's the computer whatever you do, don't touch anything in the room these are all armed and ready to go i said what do you mean armed and ready to go he said well every one of these is basically like there's no safety on these things right or i don't know he said something like that and you know he said these are all ready to fire i said well, I guess know oh okay. the door was
0: five feet thick
1: yeah, exactly. And, um, <laughs> and and so he said to me, he said, don't worry, you won't feel the impact of the explosion. When this thing launches, the pressure will drop so, so low in the room that you'll implode. And I just, I remember thinking to myself, like, what the heck did I get myself into, man? You know, and I did my inspection. I did what I needed to do. um, And, and we got the heck out of that room. But I was like, wow, this is really crazy. And
0: and suddenly you were asking yourself the same question that your wife had been asking you. Am I okay?
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, am I, am I okay? And isn't it strange that they produce this in the middle of nowhere? So again, I, I won't give away any kind of real detailed information there, but um, we have definitely been in some of, I think the coolest facilities, working with the coolest clients um, and just generally helping people that, really have no idea about our world of cybersecurity to really understand it and also helping them to win some big big contracts um and uh and you know it's it's so yeah we've seen a lot of really cool crazy stuff
0: that's i don't even know what to say to that so moving on uh it, you know you've been at this for a long time you said you know for 18 or 19, 20 years old, you were working in that three person company and it was clear to you that you had different goals and you had different, different monetary goals and other goals that you had that it wasn't going to happen here. So you, so, so you, so knew pretty early on that you wanted to strike out on your own to accomplish what it was that you wanted to accomplish. So regardless of the field or, or, or where they work in, what, what's the most important piece of advice that you have for any budding entrepreneur looking to start their own business?
1: You know, that's it. That's an interesting question. Um, You know, I I think probably going back, I mean, the easy one is like, let's go. First off, the answer is uh, just go do it, right? So I think number one, um, not everybody should own a business. I mean, I just, you know, I I think the American dream supposedly is to go start your own business and do your own thing. But I will tell you, The level of stress that comes along with business ownership is something that i don't think all people are well equipped for um that's a fact right i think you can look at uh a lot of different books i think um, i can't remember his name i think it's tony shea or something like that uh the guy from zappos has some really crazy stories about how owning a business literally drove him insane And, and you know there's some people who have drug addiction issues from owning businesses you know the stress levels are very very high i'm very fortunate and that I'm actually wired to perform better under stress. Um, but if you're not one of those people, I'm going to tell you what, you know, the, the quality of life difference is not something so substantial. Uh, you know, you really got to want to go do this. But if you're a person that wants to go do it, then there's only one choice, which is just hurry up and go do it. Um, so the first thing is give some really deep consideration as to whether or not building a business or becoming an entrepreneur is really the right move for you. Um, I would love to tell you that my head stops thinking about business at five o'clock and that I can go walk down to the bar and have a beer. I haven't done that in 20 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I, in fact, once described what it's like to own this business to my wife. I said, imagine that you sit in a 10 foot by 10 foot room with a radio station on that plays nothing but static. And no matter what other conversations may be going on in your life, no matter what else might be going in your life, you know, kid graduations, roller coasters, whatever it is. That white noise doesn't ever go away. And in fact, might give you tinnitus later in life. Uh, so you know, I think again, I, I would I would really encourage you know, people to give some very serious thought before going out to start a business. But if you can handle that, if you're into it, if you found something that you're so passionate about that you would love that white noise being there all the time, and your mind won't stop running towards that, uh, you just gotta go do it, right? You know, taking action is is the biggest thing um as far as advice i don't i don't really like to give advice to tell you the truth i really like telling stories much better and if there's something you gained out of one of my stories on a podcast or a youtube video you know what i think that's awesome okay. you know i'm here to help uh, i have a lot of mentors myself i mean there's been numerous people who have put their business practices out on the internet you know people like alex Hormozzi, tony robbins um you know more than i could ever shake a stick at fairly right and it changes from time to time who i take mentorship from but I think ultimately, when it comes to being in business, you know, if you are a person who is passionate about something, whose passion just doesn't really ever turn off, and you can create a business out of that, your business has a far bigger chance of survival. Um, you can kind of figure out the profit later. You know, a great great example like Amazon, right? Amazon wasn't profitable for I don't know how many years. Uber, I don't even know if Uber is profitable right now. They just keep building and building and building. And, you know, it's okay to do that. It really is. If you've got enough passion, enough fuel to to take you the distance, Uh, you know, our business has seen multiple phases of that. I'll tell you, we had what I would consider to be a small business when we were focused on profits and we were focused on building a big money business. And when we were focused on, you know, the traditional MSP space, it was not for me until I decided And frankly it took us 16 years to find something I was as passionate about, and that was after I started the business. Uh, it, it was not until I truly found something that I loved. I mean, like, really fell in love with the concept. Like, I woke up I woke up every day, and I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. And not only can I not believe I'm doing this, but, like, how crazy is it that we, we actually make money at this? And how crazy is it that our client results are as powerful as they are? Mm-hmm. And that was when the business really began to be a bigger business. And I think businesses, you know, can get lucky too. I think, you know, there are people that get really lucky with businesses. They just happen to sort of offer the right service or product and the market takes up, takes them up on that. Those things are all very possible, but it's much easier when you've got a passion for it. And I think that as difficult as it is, you know, I think, I think the money side of business is a really big challenge because here's how it goes, right? You build a business because you don't have money in most cases. And you and you want to you want to get rich or you want to you want you want the money side, right? Like you just want to be comfortable, whatever it is, you want enough money. And what happens is in the very beginning, when you're so desperate for it, it's so hard to come by. And then you figure things out and you get the money and you eventually sort of figure out that, um, well, you, you ultimately figure out that money actually, turns out, didn't really make that big of a difference, mm-hmm. right? Like it does. It just amplifies your personality and you get to do more of the things you love to do. And. You know, hopefully you're you're uh, you're not you're not uh, um you know, hopefully you're not, you know, sort of a meanie head, right? I was trying to keep the language PG, <laughs> right? And it doesn't amplify the mean, the meanness in, you know, in you. But you know, so money is an amplifier, and that's really all it does. I'll give you a great example, right? I'm a car guy. All right, I've always been a car guy since I was a little kid. I've always loved, you know, sports cars and exotic cars. And at the end of the day, being more and more successful just means I get to go play with more and more cars. There you go. And, and you know, for me, I think that works and it works well. And these things are expensive. So it keeps me going. It's like a really bad habit. As
0: a matter of fact, actually, if you want to never do drugs again, just be a car guy because you won't have any money left over. <laughs> <laughs> My dad is, has been an entrepreneur for many, many, many years, and he... <laughs> it's 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 kind of the same thing whenever he he has you know he, he gets the money he goes out and buy and buys another piece of sound equipment that he thinks is cool or he buys another board or he buys another you know kind of thing so uh so i understand that i understand that exactly um you know even though this wasn't our traditional podcast we 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 still had the same format so it's time it's it's time for everybody's favorite part of the podcast the silly question um are you going to be the next ceo to board a rocket and shoot into space absolutely not Not after that mess with <laughs> the sub stuff
1: uh no not at all I'll, I'll tell you what i have like one extreme sport in my life i do race cars and um well i think it would be really cool to, to go take a space journey i have to tell you um it just it isn't really it isn't something that's interested in me uh what's actually really wild is that we have clients that are involved in space programs. Uh, you know, we regularly do work for subcontractors and contractors from Space Force. Mm-hmm. Uh, I probably have more exposure to space related stuff than the average bear does. So I actually get to see all that stuff's being built and developed. And it's really, really cool. Um, but, uh, you know, I do love traveling. I do love adventure. I am an active person. Um, but, uh, you know, I have to tell you, and, and maybe maybe, maybe next year, the, the answer will be different. But Uh, The idea of being imploded in a submarine or burning up in the atmosphere because I want to take a space flight. uh, I don't know. Ask me when my kids are a little bit older and and they won't need me anymore. (laughs) Maybe that answer will change. But right about now, I think my, you know, my extreme limit is one, all the plane travel that I do because I am on an airplane a lot. Uh, You know, fortunately, these days I get to be home a little bit more with the kids and that's kind of a forced decision. We've got an amazing team that helps me do that. Uh, but you know between the the air travel that I go through and and racing cars that's probably extreme enough for for one family to handle
0: that's so yeah you see all this stuff being built that goes into space and stuff and you're like not going to be getting on that Uh, (laughs) but uh, that wraps up a very special episode of Of the mission compliance podcast while we didn't talk about our normal stuff compliance and defense and that kind of stuff we still encourage you to to join us on social media and connect with other listeners on social media share your thoughts ask questions and engage with fellow listeners by using the hashtag mission compliance podcast you can also visit our website at missioncompliancepodcast.com For show notes transcripts and other content and i want to stop here for a second and thank you mike for sharing your story with us this time and getting us a little more of a personal note to this podcast and who who we're hearing from on youtube and on this podcast on a weekly basis so we thank you for joining us
1: oh it's my pleasure robin and thank you for putting this awesome podcast on so
0: always a pleasure it's my pleasure if you haven't already don't forget to subscribe On your favorite podcast platform, and be the first to know when new episodes like this one are released. And we truly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review the show. Your feedback helps us continue to bring you thought provoking episodes and high quality content. Join us on the next episode when we will once again be talking about your compliance needs and defense topics as we delve further into the dynamic world of defense, security, and industry innovation. Until then, take care, stay informed, and make compliance your mission. Thanks, everybody.